Hi there, I'm James Dapache and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to talk about the purchase of a business. Now, I'm going to refer to one of the entities we're going to talk about today as the subject company. Essentially, that's the entity that is purchased and it is purchased from the plaintiff by the defendant. So the deal is, let's just talk this through, is that the plaintiff starts off owning subject company and the defendant pays some money and does some other things and then at the end, the defendant comes to own the subject company. Plaintiff sells subject company to defendant. What are we talking about today? Well, the subject company uh, creates, designs and makes um, a very specific type of mining equipment that essentially allows you to use electronic stuff in hazardous situations in mines. And so it's quite a specific, quite complex, quite bespoke um, piece of technology and uh, it is created by the plaintiff. There are a number of plaintiffs, but we're just gonna pretend there's only one for the sake of today's discussion. Uh, and the plaintiff is, the evidence shows, quite a switched on innovative person and so has created this switched on innovative technology. So that is what the subject company does. The plaintiff uses the subject company to buy, sell and create this uh, hazardous area electrical mining equipment. What the defendant does, and the defendant's a publicly listed company, is essentially defendant aggregates mining equipment businesses. So it tries to buy a lot of different mining equipment businesses and sort of create an amalgam that says, oh, hey, I've got the best you know, producer of uh, vehicle X or piece of equipment X. And if I bought a great uh, business that produces steering wheels or whatever it might be, then by combining the business I own creating steering wheels and the business I own creating mining cars, or whatever we're going to call them, then I will achieve uh, a beneficial uh, outcome because there'll be an efficiency there from me owning both of them. So basically that's the business model of the defendant, amalgamate all these different sort of quite specialised bespoke businesses. And it is that approach to building a business that puts subject company onto the radar of the defendant. The defendant says, oh, this is very interesting, um, hazardous uh, area, electrical mining sort of technology. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting for our amalgam of companies if I can drag that under our umbrella. So that's essentially the deal that's done. So the plaintiff sells subject company, which is to say the shares in subject company and the business operated by subject company to defendant. Um, what's paid? A little over a million bucks and some shares. And there is also <clears throat> an earn out element where there are criteria set in place that say, if plaintiff is able to cause, yes, Hazel, yes, Andrea. Are you, are you James Duffin? No, no, no. It's, um, it's, I, uh, uh. Oh, <laughs> Uh, that's a wish for you as well. Hazel, Andrea, you guys are very generous. This is very silly and fun. This is what happens when you send around a Teams message um, to say, come and fucking prank my video marketing um, thing. Um, uh, uh, um, and I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, it's actually pronounced Darpache, but um, uh, that's a joke. Thanks, dudes. Uh, do you need context on that? I sent a Teams message around to say, 
all these videos are the same and if you want to come and interrupt, come and interrupt. And that's Andrea and that's Hazel, they're both excellent. Go make friends with them on whatever platform you're on. So we were talking about the earnout earn earn criteria, right? The earnout criteria were that if plaintiff causes subject company, now that it's under the umbrella of the defendant, to earn a certain amount of profit, then, then there will be a bonus distribution of shares from uh, defendant over to plaintiff, right? So plaintiff is now employed in the uh, defendant company and is operating subject company trying to make a profit. Now what happens as this progresses is that there's a bit of a downturn in the uh, mining market. It's a, it's a coal sort of amalgam and the price of coal goes down and the market uh, starts to turn a little bit ugly. And what happens is the defendant needs to respond to these changed market circumstances. And among those responses are a, a reduction in pay cut. So everyone who operates the defendant, those senior employees, agree themselves to take a pay cut. But during this time, the plaintiff continues to cause Subject Co to sort of charge full freight to all the other businesses uh, in the defendant's sort of group of businesses. So we have Subject Co uh, trying to look quite profitable, uh, but sort of charging that amount internally. So sort of profiting at the expense of the other areas of the business. And as you might imagine, there are sort of queries and complexities that arise from this, and not everyone in the defendant is particularly happy about it happening. What happens next? is that there is a meeting between the CEO of the defendant and the plaintiff, and they sit down and they reach an agreement that is essentially a variation of the earnout clause in the original contract. It says, all right, all right, you know, some complexities arisen, none of us could have predicted this slump, we need to come about it a different way. Let's change the scenario from you having to generate 250 grand profit to a million in revenue. Hopefully that's a little bit easier, hopefully that's a little bit smoother. And it means that you won't be chasing your profit margin for Subject Co at the expense of the other entities in this group. Uh, at this time, we also have plaintiff in their personal capacity or the plaintiff who is a real person. There are a number of plaintiffs, remember, uh, becomes a senior employee over a defendant after the sale goes through and is moved from a position that's quite financial and businessy into a position that's quite sort of product design innovation-y. And so probably more likely to take advantage of those creative and technical expertise areas that plaintiff has and to place less reliance on their ability to run a business, as it were. So these changes are made, they are discussed. There is a no oral modification clause in the <coughs> sale contract. And so they've sat down and had a chat and there are some emails that follow. And essentially those emails repeat the terms I just mentioned to you, that 250 grand profit to 1 million revenue and the shift from one role to another, essentially. What happens is that CEO shortly after leaves defendant and the new people running defendant say, mm, we, weren't, we weren't there in that conversation. Uh, there's this no oral modification clause in the contract. We didn't know these emails had been sent. They don't bind us necessarily. And so one limb of the claim brought by the plaintiff today is a declaration that yes, indeed, um, the clause was modified by the effect of those emails. It was amended in writing um, by the way those emails were exchanged. And if I can just spoil the ending on that point, the court accepts that. And indeed, there's a comment made that it's a fairly straightforward legal issue that you could amend the contract in writing, and it was amended in writing. The CEO had authority on behalf of the defendant to modify it, and the plaintiff obviously had uh, authority to make that amendment or and reach that agreement as well. So the court says, yeah, that's fine. But the second issue is the issue about, well, okay, 
did we actually get to our million revenue? And there are some contested elements to this where uh, it looks on the face of it, based on the numbers the defendant produces, of no. And the plaintiff raises an issue of a new hydraulics business and says, hey, look, whoa, 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 the numbers you've provided don't include um, the hydraulics business. That's part of what Subject Co did. And so anything that's hydraulic, you know, this new hydraulics business, that shouldn't be attributed to the defendant's work. That's part of the business you bought. That's part of what Subject Co was doing. And so the amount earned in relation to that should come into the calculations about uh, Subject Co and so should be considered in relation to whether I'm getting this bonus or not, whether I'm getting these extra shares. Now, um, the court worked through the evidence and the very short point was that the plaintiff was unable to prove that there was a link between the new hydraulics business and Subject Co bringing it in. There was sort of evidence of the word hydraulic being used on a couple of Subject Co invoices and this sort of thing, but it didn't raise to the height where the plaintiff was able to prove the position. And so we find ourselves in this position where the plaintiff has won on one element of the claim. I said, yeah, look, this agreement was varied. The defendant initially resisted that position and the defendant lost, plaintiff won. Hey, hey, we did amend the agreement, tick for the plaintiff. Do you remember the second part of what the plaintiff was after was a declaration, after that declaration was, well, then where are my shares? Because I met this earn out criteria and where are the dividends that I would have earned in the in-between time when I haven't been given my shares? Well, what the court says is, hang on, the new business you're trying to incorporate into your maths, plaintiff, was in fact not a business attributable to Subject Co. And so the numbers for new business do not fall into the calculation for your earnout criteria. And so, uh, potentially even aside from that, you didn't meet the earnout criteria. And so you don't get your shares or your dividends. And so we have this sort of pyrrhic victory for the plaintiff, where the plaintiff wins uh, for the contract variation, loses for the shares and dividends relief, and the court says, well, that should also sound in legal costs. And so the plaintiff, plaintiffs technically, um, is ordered to pay the costs or 80% of the costs of the defendant based on the outcome of the proceedings being vastly more in favour of the defendants than the plaintiff. And based on the fact that the agreement was varied being a fairly straightforward point and the failure on the maths, if I can put it that way, of revenue ought to have been obvious to the plaintiff from the start. I hope that discussion assisted you and that you get interrupted sometime through your day from very well-meaning colleagues who, um, uh, with the best of intentions, mess around with your train of thought. And I'll look forward to speaking to you again soon, probably next year, over another coffee and another case note. Cheers.